Well, good morning and welcome to Crossroads. My name is Promise Bradley, and it is my great honor and privilege to get to share the word with you this morning. Pastors Chad and Don are preaching a marriage conference together, and so our prayers are with them this weekend. But Pastor Chad's going to be back next Sunday to continue the Recalibrate series. Who here has been enjoying the Recalibrate series? Yes! Come on, somebody. I'm telling you what, it's been wrecking my world. I love it. I love that Pastor Chad has been highlighting Matthew 6, where Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means that God actually wants to partner with me to bring heaven to earth. That God actually wants to partner with you to bring heaven to earth. I absolutely love that idea. I'm completely sold out to it. And one thing that I've realized is that if I'm completely sold out to the idea of partnering with God to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, that there's one thing that I need to know. There's one thing that I need to take responsibility for, and that is this. I need to know what heaven is like. I need to know what the culture of heaven is like. Because God wants the culture of the world to become the culture of heaven. He wants the ways of heaven to infiltrate the ways of the world. As the Bible puts it, he wants the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms, the kingdom of our God. Amen. And here's one thing I know about heaven. It's a kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what does that word kingdom even mean? It means the king's domain. And now his domain, as Pastor Chad has been highlighting for us, it's not just about where he lives, right? Heaven is so much bigger, it's so much better, it's so much greater than just a geographical location, than just a place that we go and we die if we are found in Christ Jesus. It's so much more than that. The word domain means the king's domain. It means, or the the kingdom means king's domain. It means the king's authority. Wherever the king has authority, there you will find his kingdom. You know what that means? It's good news for me and you because it means that if the king has authority in my mind, guess what? The kingdom has come to my mind. If the king has authority in my home, it means the kingdom of heaven has come to my home. If the king has authority in my finances, it means the kingdom of heaven has come to my finances. Isn't that awesome? If the king has authority in my workplace, you see where I'm going with this, don't you, church? I love it. I love it. I want the king to have authority in every area of my life. And now, if you guys will bear with me, I'm having some technical difficulties, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a topic. Are you ready for this? Road Island. It's neither a road or an island. Discuss. Yeah, yeah. It's neither a road nor an island. How about another one? Chickpea. It's neither a chick nor a pea. Peanut, see where I'm going with this? It's a legume, people. Look it up, it's a legume. All right, we're good. (laughs) Wherever the king has authority is where his kingdom is found. You ready to get back to your regularly scheduled program? (laughs) I'll give you a really great natural world example of this. About four years ago, I was in India. And you might not know this about India, but until like the mid-20th century, India had been a colony of Great Britain for 300 years. 300 years. That means that during that time, if you were 
an Indian person living in India, even if you didn't know anything about England, even if you'd never set foot in London, you didn't even know what Buckingham Palace was, you'd never seen Big Ben, you were still considered a subject of the king. What's the point? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who your king is. Who has authority over you? Now, something really interesting would happen when I was in India. Our host, Sony, amazing, so hospitable, just took such great care of us, fed us so much food. And every day around mid-afternoon, we would sit in the Indian heat, which it was about, this was during the summer, and it was about 100 degrees in the shade with like 100 plus percent humidity. I don't know how you get more than 100, but believe me, you do, right? And, and we, would, we would sit outside and she would serve us piping hot tea and biscuits. You would call them cookies, but they're biscuits. Because why? Because India was a colony of Great Britain for 300 years and they're called biscuits in London. Why would we drink piping hot tea in the mid-afternoon in 100 degree heat in the shade? Because India was a colony of Great Britain and in London, in England, it's rainy and cold. And a piping hot cup of tea in the mid-afternoon is very refreshing. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, every culture has its own flavor, right? It, you know what I mean by that? Like, if I served you a dish and it had kind of like an Asian flavor to it, you could, even if I didn't tell you, you could be like, oh, that kind of tastes kind of like an Asian dish. Or if you hear a piece of music and it's, it's like from a Latin country, you can be like, oh, that has like a Latin flavor to it. Even if we don't know very much about a culture, we pretty much know different cultures' flavors, right? Every culture has its own flavor because every culture has its own value system. In every culture, there are things that collectively the people have said, we value these things. And we want to promote them, we want to preserve them, and we want to pass them down to the next generation. And but these things over here, we don't value them so much. We're, we're not interested in preserving those. In fact, you can just throw those away. It's value system. You know, so much of modern politics is just a country trying to figure out its value system. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't worry, this isn't a political preach. Don't worry, you don't gotta leave, it's all good. I'm just gonna use this to make a point, okay? Right now in our country, we have a big divide between value systems. Probably the biggest divide that has existed in our culture since the Civil War. Because what you have is a bunch of people who value these things over here and want to promote and preserve and pass these things on to the next generation. And we have people over here who don't value those things and value these things. And we can't get along. We can't figure out what we want our value system to be, what we want our culture to be like. Have you ever found out that you have a different value system from somebody else? You're talking to him and you're like, oh boy, we value very different things. Don't answer this, this is rhetorical. Have you ever found out that you have a different value system than your spouse? Don't answer. <laughs> let, me, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever tried to go through your house with your spouse and do a deep purge of all your, your junk? And you find out that there are things that they value that you don't value. 
and vice versa, right? Blake and I, we've been doing some spring cleaning lately, okay? It's, spring cleaning's here, people. It's time. And we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, so for roughly three years, we haven't thrown anything away. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> and we haven't done any deep cleaning whatsoever. And it's time, y'all. You know how you know when it's time? Is when you literally cannot physically walk into your garage. <laughs> we are there. <laughs> And I don't know about you, it's so weird. Like when you go through your stuff and you're like, okay, this should be easy. It's easy to determine something's value, right? There's going to be stuff that I'm going to keep, stuff that I'm going to throw away, stuff I'm going to donate, stuff I'm going to sell, right? Easy. Let me tell you something, it is not easy. I am having, I'm like finding out that I have an emotional attachment to stuff that is just, why? Why? Why do I value this thing? Why am I having to go through the mourning process for every single thing that I put in the trash? This should be easier. And you know, Blake and I are not on the same page about everything. I love you, baby, but we're not always on the same page. We're just not. We have different value systems sometimes, and I don't like it. Because I like to be on the same page as my husband, but I also like to get my way. But how many know it's better to live in peace with your spouse than it is to get your own way all the time? And the truth is, when it comes to values, I value him so much more than I value this piece of junk. <laughs> I value him so much more than my need to get rid of other said junk, right? And so sometimes, out of my love for him, I'll conform to his value system. And that, that, that looks a little like this, like, sure, baby. If you absolutely must keep that nasty, ugly, yellow, holy, fuzzy blanket that you've had for 30 years that kind of smells, okay. And sometimes I don't necessarily conform, I compromise. Y'all, compromise is good in marriage. If you haven't tried it, you should try it. Compromise is when you put conditions on things, though. You know, you're like, okay, you can keep that nasty, ugly, holy blanket that you've had for 30 years, but you keep it on your side of the bed. <laughs> and in the morning, you put it in the linen closet because I do not want company to see that thing. Anybody? All right, don't answer that. How many know that, how many know that, just like sometimes my value system isn't the same as my spouse's, my value system often is not the same as the Lord's value system. And, you know, the difference is, is that sometimes Blake's value system is better than mine. Sometimes my value system is better than his. But the Lord's value system is always the best. I never have a better value system than him. His value system is always the most right. Paul said, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, you know... You can try to compromise in the kingdom. And let me tell it, let me just follow me with this. You can try to compromise with God the way that I compromise with my husband. You can try it, and the Lord will be super duper patient with you. And he will show you so much grace during your attempts to compromise with him. But what I've come to learn, what I've come to find out is that compromise actually does not work in the kingdom. It doesn't. Let me, let me give you some examples of what compromise looks like for me with the Lord. 
I'll say, Lord, I give you all of me. I give you everything that I am except for that one addiction that I really love and I don't want to give you because it feeds my flesh and I just like it. Jesus, I will go anywhere you send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. But not there. I don't like that place. Jesus, I want to love like you love. I want to love people with the love that you have for them. But I just cannot love that person. I just can't. And he's so patient with my attempts to compromise. But I'm telling you, compromise doesn't work in the kingdom. You know why? Because he's a righteous God and he loves without condition. The Bible says God is love and that his love is unconditional. His love is unconditional. That means he can't compromise. Compromise is not heard of in the culture of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. Because it comes with conditions. Compromise comes with conditions. I'm so glad, though, that he does not compromise. Aren't you glad that he's a righteous God? Aren't you glad that we can't have it both ways? That we can't have a God who compromises and is righteous? I'm so glad. And I'm so glad that he's so patient with my attempts to compromise. Because I need it. I'm so glad. Because you know what? If he was a God who compromised, you know, he, he might say something like this to me. You know, promise that person, they really wronged you, you know. And so all that bitterness, all that unforgiveness that you're holding on to, you should probably just hold on to it. You're right. Keep that old nasty stuff. Keep it. Because you deserve to keep it because they did so wrong. But when company comes over, put it in the closet. Aren't you glad he's not like that? Compromise doesn't work in the kingdom, only conformity only conforming to his value system. This is what Pastor Chad's been talking about in the Recalibrate series when he says, look, there's a standard. That's the culture of heaven. That's the value system of heaven. And he says, and then I find out how far away from that standard I am, and then it's my responsibility to recalibrate my mind to conform to that value system. Now, I know we don't like to talk about conform. We don't, we don't like that word because it can sound a little bit like hashtag legalism, right? It can sound a little bit like, okay, there's a box. That's the culture of heaven. That's the law. That's God's commandments, and you need to get in it, and you need to stay hemmed in by it, and it's going to make you small, and you can't get a toe out of line. And if you do, oh, my goodness, you better punish yourself real bad and hurry up and get right back in. Listen, it's not like that. The law is good. The law is right. Yes. The law has not been done away with. Am I right? Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. But sometimes we get the cart before the horse. Do you know that I conform to Blake's value system? Why? Because I love him. This is about a relationship. This whole thing is about a relationship with the king. Conforming to heaven's value system isn't about getting in a box. It's about falling in love with the king. And as a result, I fall in love with his ways. And I want to follow his ways. And I love his ways. And they're so beautiful to me. And they're so glorious to me. And I love to just fall in love with him and his ways. You know, Blake and I have been married for 15 years. And I, I know this sounds cheesy or whatever, but this is truth. I love him more now than I did 15 years ago. You know why? My yes to him is bigger today than it was 15 years ago. 
That doesn't mean that I didn't give him my complete yes 15 years ago at the altar. I did. I gave him 100% of me. But what has happened over the years is I have learned how to give him more of me. I've learned how to get up every morning and say yes again. I've learned how to make my yes bigger, and it grows every single day. You see, it's a relationship. It's a process. It is the same in the kingdom of heaven. It's about growing in love. It's about giving God my yes again. You know, for years I didn't understand that. I I got saved like six times. You know what I'm talking about? I like gave my life to the Lord and then I fell away and then I rededicated and then I fell away and then I rededicated and on and on and on and on and on and on. Because I didn't have a revelation that it is a relationship. And just because I fall away doesn't mean the relationship is over. Do you understand? Because his grace is so extreme in that moment. His grace is so powerful in that moment that when I get back up, my yes, he has empowered my yes to be bigger again. There's no shame in that if that's been you. Because I understand I've been there before, but I'm telling you, it's a process. It's about being transformed into his image glory to glory, as the Bible says. It's what Paul said in Romans 12, too, and he said, don't be conformed to the world system, but be transformed. Transformation is a process, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that's how you're going to know what his values are. That's how you're going to know what his will is. That's how you're going to know what heaven is like, is going through this process with the Lord. Amen. is so good y'all but if I want to conform to heaven's value system I need to know what heaven values what does heaven want to promote what does heaven want to preserve what does heaven want to protect and pass down from generation and what what does heaven want to disregard you know when Jesus was here on earth he talked all about what heaven is like that's one of the things that he came to reveal he came to reveal the father he came to reveal heaven he came to die on the cross for our sins, to give us new life. And I wish I could go through all the things that Jesus said heaven is like today because it's wrecking my world right now. But one of the things, I can't go through everything, but I'm going to share a couple of things that Jesus said heaven is like. And this is found in Matthew 13, if you would go there with me. Yeah. Ow! <laughs> we just love the word. Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all. Somebody say all. All that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all, somebody say all, all that he had and bought it. Now I've heard these parables preached several times over the years, and I've heard a very good interpretation of them that I actually 100% agree with, and you're going to see that I'm going to come full circle back around to this interpretation. But the Lord started to speak to me about the interpretation, and the interpretation is this, that heaven is the treasure, 
And heaven is the pearl of great price. And when I find Jesus, when I find heaven, when I see how beautiful it is, when I see how wonderful his ways are, that I give up everything to follow him, just like the disciples gave up everything to follow Jesus. They left their nets, the Bible says, they left their boats, and they followed after him. They left their families, even some of them. They, they gave everything. They paid the highest price to follow Jesus. And that's a good interpretation. But the Lord started to speak to me and he said, Promise, is there actually any price that you could pay that would buy heaven? That would buy a relationship with me? And I was like, actually, no. The Bible says that I only love because you first loved me. And he's like, Promise, have you actually paid the highest price to follow me? And I'm like, no, actually, I haven't. I'm learning how to pay the price. It's a process, like we said, but I haven't actually paid it yet. He said, but there's one who has. There's one who has paid the highest price, and that is Jesus. Jesus paid the highest price. He left his divinity. He was the son of God, left his divinity, came to earth as a man, was tempted in every way that we are tempted, with every sin that we are tempted with. And to me, that's the biggest part of the price, that he did not sin, even though he was so tempted. And then he suffered and died. He was whipped, abused, beat up. He was put on a cross, and he took all of the sins of all of the world, of all of mankind forever and ever on himself. All of our diseases, all of our brokenness, every curse that was put on us, he took it upon himself and died, was placed in a grave. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead three days later, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for everyone who is found in Christ Jesus. Every citizen of heaven He's paid the highest price. And what did he pay it for? For you, for me. Whatever you're willing to pay the highest price for is the thing that you value the most. You understand the word value is defined as the regard that something is held to deserve. I wanna, I wanna share a, a piece of art that lately has just been rocking my world. Check out this piece of art. This is going to blow your mind. It's beautiful, right? Did you just have an emotional reaction to this piece of art? Let me, just in case, like, you're listening to podcasts and you can't see it, let me describe it to you. It's a really big blackboard with six horizontal scribbles of chalk going across it. I know. It's awesome. <laughs> Any art critics in here? How much would you, uh, would you be willing to pay for this piece of art? Come on, we can have an auction right now. Wait, you haven't heard the title. Let me tell you the title because that's going to change everything. The title of this piece of art is Untitled. <laughs> that, the price just went up, didn't it? I know, I know, I get it. This is a legit piece of art. It was created in 1968 by an artist named Cy Twombly. And it has sold several times over the years since 1968. And most recently, it sold at Sotheby's auction in 2015, forget this, $70.5 million. I'm not lying, folks, $70.5 million for scribbles. What is the point? The point is that value is not inherent in an object. 
Value is not determined by something's quality. It's not determined by its beauty. It's not even determined by its rarity. It is strictly determined by how much somebody is willing to pay. Now, there is a theology out there, and theology is just a way of understanding the ways of God. It's a way of interpreting his value system. There's a theology that says humankind is worthless. We have no quality. We have no righteousness in ourselves, which is absolutely true. I 100% agree with that. We are just sinners. We are sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We'll always be sinners. That's all there is to mankind. We have no worth. Okay, but what about your value? What price was God willing to pay for you? Because it's that and that alone that determines your value. And I'm telling you, we've got to get heaven's value system for people. And you know, I get saying I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. I get it. But you're a sinner when you are under sin's authority. When you become a citizen of heaven, when you, become, when you come under the authority of King Jesus, you are no longer under sin's authority. It doesn't mean that you won't sin. It just means that you have a different king now. You're no longer a sinner. You are a saint because Jesus was willing to pay the highest price. What does the kingdom of heaven value more than anything? What is its top priority in its value system? Souls. People's freedom, people's health, people's wholeness. People, period, is what heaven values most. And you know... We got to get heaven's value system. When I meet somebody, I cannot look at them through my natural eyes anymore if I'm a citizen of heaven. I have to conform to heaven's value system. I have to look at them through God's eyes. It doesn't matter what their quality is. It doesn't matter what talents they have. It doesn't matter where they've been and what they've done. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are or not. It doesn't matter what they bring to the table. What matters is what was the price somebody was willing to pay for them. Because that's their value. They are his pearl of great price. You are his pearl of great price. He's the man in the parable. He's the one searching for treasure hidden in a field. And you might just know somebody who doesn't know that they're his treasure hidden in the field. And if you've ever wanted to know how to easily share the gospel with somebody, that's it. Matthew 13 right there. They are his pearl of great price. There's no price he was not willing to pay for them. Amen. Heaven's value system, people. You know, um, there was this really awesome group of missionaries. If you are missionary-minded, you need to study this group. They're called the Moravians. They were really active during the 18th and 19th century, and they practically pioneered the the new uh, missions movement, like the modern mission movement as we know it today. They got this. They understood that heaven values people over everything and souls over everything. And they were sold out to it. And they said, we will pay any price to conform to heaven's value system. And so what happened was there was this island in the West Indies. Now watch this. This is the coolest story. I love this story. 
And there was this slave owner who owned this island, and he was raising sugar cane or some crop like that. And he had like 3,000 slaves working for him on this island. And he was an atheist. And he had made it known, like he had put a decree out there and said, do not come to my island if you preach Jesus. If you're a missionary, an evangelist, a preacher, if you're even a Christian, do not come to my island because I'm not having it. He especially didn't want his slaves to hear the message that there is freedom in Jesus. You understand? He did not want that. And so the Moravians, they said, easy, we'll just sell ourselves into slavery. And that's exactly what they did. This is a true story. This is history. And they were going to evangelize the slave population from the inside out. Can you imagine? And this is a true story. They were, just, just picture this with me. They're on the ship sailing out into the harbor. And their family is left there on the shoreline. You know their family is weeping because they know what this means for their loved ones to be sold into slavery for the sake of the gospel. And one of the Moravians called out this famous quote, and he said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. In other words, we're going to make sure that Jesus gets what he paid for. That's a woke Christian. You know how I know that's a woke Christian? Because Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because you get it. You get the value system of heaven. You know what heaven is? It's a king who gave everything for his bride. And a bride who's willing to give everything back for her king. It is 100% a love story. It's two people willing to give up everything for one another. And it's not about what we get out of it. Although, what's cool about the kingdom is we get so much... You see, this kingdom is a topsy-turvy kingdom. What I mean by that is the Bible says that the wisdom of the Lord is foolishness to this world. It's a kingdom that says in order to find your life, you have to lose it. In order to be filled up, you have to become empty. In order to be raised up, you have to go low. Peter said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. It's a kingdom that says, in order to have anything, you have to give everything. You see, there was this man in the Bible who didn't get this. Hashtag don't be like this guy. He was, he, he was called the rich young ruler because he was a rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to receive the kingdom? Or what must I do to enter heaven or have eternal life? And, and Jesus said, follow the commandments. Remember? That box. Conform to this box. And he said, the guy said, oh, that's cool. Uh, well, first of all, which ones? And Jesus was like, all of them, fool. He didn't say that. <laughs> I would have said that. He, said, he just listed them for the guy. He's so patient. <laughs> and he said, the guy was like, yes, I've done all that. I've gotten in the box. This is where you're going to find out that it's not about the box, okay? I followed them all. And Jesus said, oh, good. I'm glad you've been trying to be good. Now, do this. Go and sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor. Come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. He even said, you will have treasure in heaven. 
And the Bible says that he went away sad because he had lots of possessions and he didn't want to get rid of it. Now, this is the part in the sermon where I'm supposed to tell you that this is all about materialism and that as a Christian, you can't have nice things. This guy, rich young ruler, he's why we can't have nice things. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you that because I don't believe that. You see, there were other rich people who came to Jesus, and there's no record of him saying this to Joseph of Arimathea, for example, who was a very wealthy man. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and asked the very same question, Jesus didn't tell him to go and sell all he had. He said, you have to be born again. Jesus goes on after the rich young ruler leaves, and he explains to his disciples, listen, anybody who's left father, mother, brother, sister, children to follow me will inherit the kingdom. Why? Because this is not about materialism. This is about values. It's about what do you value? You see, one way to look at the rich young ruler's story is to say he wasn't willing to give up all of his earthly goods for the kingdom. Another way to look at it is that he sold the kingdom for some measly worldly wealth. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is there anything worth more to you than your relationship with Jesus? Is there anything worth more? Is there any price that you would not be, is there anything that you would sell Jesus out for? Jesus said, if you'll lose your life, you'll find it in me. You know, when you get married, you have two people with two separate lives. And they have to somehow come together and make one life, right? In order to do that, each person has to lose their life. And then they find a brand new life. It's just like that in the kingdom. Do you know that when I married Blake 15 years ago, I did not marry him for his money. We did not have two pennies to rub together back then. I didn't marry him for anything that he could give me. I married him because I love him. You know, we have a term for someone who marries somebody for what they can get in our culture. They're called a gold digger, right? Would you want to be married to a gold digger? I wouldn't. I don't want to be married to somebody who's just with me for what they can get. You know, our vows, they said for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. If Blake gets sick, I'm not going to leave him. If he goes bankrupt, I'm not going to leave him. For better or worse, that means if things go bad, I'm going to stick with him. You know why? Because when I abide in this relationship, it doesn't matter what comes our way. We got this. We can weather this storm together. Amen. Do you know that it's the same in the kingdom? We don't follow the Lord for what he can give us. But watch this. The, the, the irony is that I, because I'm married to him, I do get everything that he has. It's the same in the kingdom of heaven. You get everything that he has. You get everything that he has. When we serve him just for what we get, that's the cart before the horse. When we serve him just for what he can give us, you know what happens? All these external things, they have authority. If I get sick, and he doesn't heal me like I think he should, I'm out the door. If I, if I have trouble, if trouble comes my way and I don't feel like he has intervened, I'm out the door. But when I'm doing it because I love him, 
all this stuff can happen around me, but you know what I have? I have the peace that surpasses understanding because he's my king. He's my prince of peace, my prince of peace. You know, he doesn't want to just be the prince of peace in your life. He wants to be your prince of peace. There was a guy in the Bible that didn't get this either. The parable of the prodigal son, the older brother didn't get what I'm telling you right now. He was working so hard for the father, out working in the fields. Why? To get an inheritance from the father. And the younger brother, his, his brother, had gone off and taken the inheritance and wasted it and had come back to be reconciled in, watch this relationship, because that's what it's about, with the father. And the father was throwing a great big party for the son, and the, young, and the older brother was so mad about it. He was like, what are you doing? Here this guy, this joker goes and wastes all your money, and I've been working so hard for you. I've been staying in the box. And you haven't even so much as given me a goat for my friends. You know, goat parties. Don't bring a goat to a party. That's weird. I don't. Anyways. And the father looks at him and he says, son, don't you know all I have is yours. It's not about that. It's not about you working hard. Yeah, I love that you do that, but I want you to do it out of the overflow of your love for me. I want you to follow the rules out of your overflow of your love for me. All that I have is yours. The father just wanted a relationship with his sons. The father just wants a relationship with you. Do you know what heaven is? It's a love story. It's two people giving everything that they have to be with one another. Jesus giving everything that he has to have his bride and the bride giving back everything that she has to be with him. Do you know I'm convinced that the deeper we go in the Lord, the less we hold on to. It's just like Dr. Burrell last week when he said, you can't have any carry-on luggage. It doesn't mean that you can't come to the Lord with your baggage, but when you come to the Lord with your baggage, guess what? deals with it and he, he takes you in deeper into his love that's what happens if you lose your life you will find it in him you know what heaven is like heaven is Jesus I don't know about pearly gates and streets of gold and mansions I don't know what that means I'm not here to preach on that today but I do know this, I know that when we are in heaven, we will eternally be in the presence of Jesus. You know why the Garden of Eden was heaven on earth was because Adam and Eve were, were in the presence of God. You know, when Jesus was here on the earth and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven has come near you. You know what he was really saying? I'm, I'm standing right here. You can reach out and touch me. Is heaven and how are we to partner with him to bring heaven to earth first of all we make him Lord in every area of our life wherever the king has authority that's where his kingdom is and we become his presence is on the inside of you and we become like the Bible says temples of the Holy Spirit the very presence of God, which is what heaven is. 
you guys, like little tabernacles, go out in the world and you are carrying the kingdom with you and you release it everywhere you go. And the kingdoms of this world, in effect, become the kingdom of our Lord. Amen.